Well, here we are, the Sunday before Christmas, and I'm hoping that you have your Christmas shopping done by now. How many of you have somebody in your life or family who is just that person who is really, really hard to shop for? How many of you have a person like that? Um, well, that's, you know, the exact same place that Carrie Underwood's husband, Mike, found himself this year in trying to figure out, what do I get Carrie for Christmas? I mean, talk about having everything, right? What do you get Carrie Underwood for Christmas? Well, he, he found... He, he came up with an idea to get her not one, but two things that she, you know, wasn't expecting. And so what he got her this year for Christmas, he gave her the gift early, was two cows. Yes, I'm serious. He bought her two cows. So I mentioned that just for you to remember for next year, you know, if there's that person in your life, you're like, I just don't want to get them, buy him a cow. You know, there you go. <laughs> I think we've all experienced this on Christmas, right? Where you open up a package and you're looking at it and you're like, wow, what is it? (laughs) What is it for? How many of you experienced that before, right? And oftentimes at Christmas, we talk about the best gift. And I think the best gift is something that somebody wants, something that somebody needs, and something that they can definitely use. That's like the best gift. You know, one year I remember my wife saying to me, I am so excited about what I got you for Christmas. And she usually doesn't say that about Christmas. And so I was actually really excited. Like, what did she get me this year? And so Christmas came and we're opening up our gifts and there's this little box and this is the one that she's so excited about. And I open it up and it was a ear and nose trimmer. <laughs> Definitely needed, (laughs) definitely useful, wanted, no. (laughs) Well, the first Christmas, God gave mankind what we needed, what we wanted, even though most people didn't realize it, and what we could definitely use, and that was a Savior. And here in our text, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah is writing to a people that it says were dwelling in darkness, and he was writing to them, telling them that a light was coming. Isaiah writes this passage 750 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And I want to focus today on one line in this passage. And it's the line, the government would be upon his shoulders. You see, Isaiah was prophesying that a savior, a redeemer, a king was on his way. However, shortly after Isaiah gave this prophecy, the Assyrians swooped down into Israel and conquered the northern tribes. And the Assyrians were a brutal people, a bloodthirsty people who carried away their captives back to Assyria in a very, with extreme cruelty. This is how they did it. They, they led the people of Israel through the wilderness with fish hooks in their mouths. That's how they led them. And all along the way, whenever there were people who were complaining or rebellious, out there in the desert, they would cut off their heads. 
And they would stack their, hit, their heads like a pyramid to basically send a message to anybody who came by. This is what happens to complainers and those who rebel against Assyria. And I'm sure as that was going down, the people of Israel wondered, when will the one come of whom Isaiah spoke of, the one in whom the government would be upon his shoulders? About a hundred years after the Assyrian aggression, another invasion was launched against Israel, and this time it was the Babylonians. And in 605 BC, the Babylonians launched a series of attacks against the southern part of the country, that part being Judah. And those attacks climaxed in the year 586 BC when the soldiers of King Nebuchadnezzar, led by General Sennacherib, marched into the holy city of Jerusalem and they raped the women, they tortured the children, and they destroyed the temple. And once again, the people of Israel were terrified and their hearts cried out longing for the day when the one of whom Isaiah prophesied would come, the one who would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one in whom the government would be upon his shoulders. But the time was not yet. Well, the Babylonians were followed by the Greeks. And on his deathbed, Alexander the Great turned over control of Israel to the Seleucid family. And from that dynasty came a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He would be a picture of the coming Antichrist that Jesus and Daniel both spoke of. And his hatred, this Antiochus Epiphanes, his hatred for the Jews was so great that one day he went into their temple, he sacrificed a pig on the altar, he made the priest drink the blood of that pig, and then he smeared the remainder of the blood on the temple walls. And once again, the people of Israel found themselves longing for the coming of the Messiah, and the one in whom would come in which the government would be born upon his shoulders. When the Greeks, well, the Greeks were followed by the Romans, and the Romans descended upon the region, that region of the world and beat it into bloody submission. The Romans were cruel oppressors, and the people of Israel must have surely wondered if their Messiah was ever going to come. But then it happened. The news went forth that a special baby had been born in the little town of Bethlehem. And shepherds were telling the news of angelic messengers who appeared to them announcing the birth of this special child. And they said, this is what the angel told you. We bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, not just the people of Israel. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the Bible says that those shepherds made haste and they came to see this baby who had been born and then afterwards they went out and they told everybody about the angelic messengers, about this special child. And in Luke chapter 2.18 it says, and those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You know what's interesting though is everything about the Christmas story was the opposite of what we would naturally expect. I mean, the place that God chooses for his son to be born in a stable, 
the people who are going to bring and be the ones that bring his son into the world, the announcement of the angels and to the shepherds and the messengers, everything was backwards. How many of you have ever heard of a white elephant gift? Okay, most of you have heard of a white elephant gift. And, you know, in a normal Christmas year, there's a lot of Christmas parties, right? Ugly sweater parties. And oftentimes in these Christmas parties, people do a gift exchange that they call it a white elephant gift exchange. We, we usually do this every year with our staff. And, and white elephant gift, you know, you, you uh, package up your gifts and you bring them and they're all put in a pile. And then you, you know, you have an opportunity to go and, and pick a gift that you want, but somebody after you has an opportunity to come and steal it. It's a, it's a great gift or a great, you know, game to play with a church staff, you know, stealing from one another. And, and uh, we just really, really enjoy it. But, but a white elephant gift is a gag gift. It's a second or third rate gift. It's an outcast gift. It's a thrift store reject. It's the Donnie and Marie Christmas CD, you know. It's the I love Gavin Newsom face mask, you know? <laughs> it's the Snoop Dogg cookbook. And there is such a thing <laughs> as a Snoop Dogg cookbook. But what's interesting about white elephant gifts is that they're usually wrapped up extra nice. The wrapping's usually really, really pretty. It's sort of a disguise. It's like trying to draw you in. Look how pretty I am. Pick me, but it, but it only reveals, you unwrap it only to reveal a not so nice gift. Well, God did the opposite. When he sent the gift of his son, I mean, he sent the greatest gift to man that the world has ever received. It was a gift that man needed, that man wanted, a gift that he could definitely use. His son, born as a baby, born to be the savior. But when God sent his gift into this world, the packaging was poor. His son was born to two poor peasants, and he was born in a stable. But the symbolism is perfect. You see, a stable is a perfect picture of our lives before Christ. Smelly and messy because of sin. But when Jesus comes into that smelly, messy place, it becomes holy. So that when the shepherds come, they don't see the mess, they see only the Savior. They don't smell the stench, but instead they smell the sweetness of God's grace, so much so it leads them to worship. And that's what happens when Jesus is allowed into the stable of our hearts. Our hearts become holy, marked by a fragrance of God's grace in giving his Son to be our Savior. You know, think about it. If you and I were writing this story, Jesus would have been born to a royal family. He would have been born in one of the best hospitals, but that's not what God did. God picks two parents of humble means. Mary and Joseph are two peasants from one of the worst villages in all of Israel, a place called Nazareth. In fact, they had a saying in Israel, and the saying was this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, it's like saying, can anything good come out of Bakersfield? You know, I mean, it's that, that same kind of thing. If you're from Bakersfield, I'm sorry. But uh, 
But that was the idea. It was like this, this place that no one wanted to be from. But this is what God was doing. He was sending a message that he loves to work through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And God's method of PR was, again, out of the ordinary. He picks shepherds. And shepherds, they were known to be in that culture some of the least trusted people because they had a reputation, many of them, for being thieves. And so this is who God chooses to spread the news that his son has now come into the world. So this baby comes into the world, the message goes out, the people of of Bethlehem are tripping out. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that we've been waiting for? Could this be the one that Isaiah spoke of, of whom the government would be upon his shoulders? But then the story pretty much goes dark for the next 30 years. Mary and Joseph settle back into Nazareth, Jesus starts to grow up. He, he ends up helping Joseph there in the carpenter shop. In fact, he would become known as, oh, there's the carpenter's son. And all the while, the Roman oppression grows more and more cruel as the people of Israel are getting more and more weary, wondering, will the Messiah, will the promised Messiah ever come? But then it happened one day. Jesus put down his hammer. He steps out of the carpenter shop never to return. And he begins going throughout the land preaching and teaching. And the news began to circulate throughout the country about this itinerant rabbi from Nazareth whose words were told were so gracious that the common people heard him gladly. And the people began to wonder, could this be the wonderful counselor that Isaiah spoke of? The stories began to circulate throughout the land. Did you hear what he did? He walked on water. Did you hear he brought somebody back from the dead? Did you hear that he healed He cleansed a person of leprosy. That's never been done before. And people were wondering, could this be the mighty God? that Isaiah spoke of. Others might have said, did you see the way he took the little children up on his lap, wrapped his arms around them and pronounced blessing upon them? Surely this must be the everlasting father that Isaiah spoke of. Others might have said, did you hear that when his disciples were out in their boat on the Sea of Galilee and they were struggling in the midst of a great storm and he was asleep in the boat and they woke him up and he stood up and he spoke to the wind and the waves and that stormy sea became like a sea of glass in just an instant. We've never seen or heard of a peace like this. Surely he must be the prince of peace that Isaiah spoke of. And time went on, and people still wondered about Jesus. And then after three years of working miracles and giving these wonderful teachings, when hope was at an all-time high, the day came when Jesus comes riding into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. It would become known as his triumphal entry. 
He was greeted by the cries of hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And they waved palm branches and they cried out and said, Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And many of them no doubt were thinking, this is it. The time has come. He's going to take the government upon his shoulders. He's going to drive out our oppressors. But that's not what happened. As the week went on, the tide turned. He was arrested one night. There was a mock trial. He was stripped naked and made to look weak. And the crowds began to cry out, we won't have this man rule over us. The government won't be placed on his shoulders. Pilate examined him and said, I find no fault in this man. But wanting to pacify this unruly crowd, he had Jesus beaten brutally. But it didn't work. Their cries grew even stronger, crucify him. So there's Jesus beaten and mocked, crown of thorns upon his head. And they took a wooden cross and they made him carry it up the Via Della Rosa to a mount called Golgotha, the place of the skull. We call it Calvary. Now I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Jesus, no longer a baby, but now a man, beaten and bloodied. Going up the Via Della Rosa, he would be preceded by a man carrying a sign that said, king of the Jews. There would be two soldiers in front of him in full armor, and there'd be two that also followed him. But I want you to think about what is on his shoulders. It's the cross. And although no one realized it at the time, when that wooden crossbeam was placed on his shoulders, it was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The government, his government being placed upon his shoulders. That cross was a representation of his message and his way of life. It was on display in living color, symbolized by the cross. The cross on his shoulders was declaring that Jesus is a king who is strong enough to bear the weight of all of our burdens. The cross on his shoulders declared that Jesus was a king mighty enough to take down man's most powerful oppressors, sin, Satan, and death. The cross on his shoulders was a sign that he is a king who is willing, willing to bear all of our sin and all of our shame. In fact, Isaiah would write a little bit later in his book, in Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of this moment, Jesus bearing the cross, he would write these words, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. 
All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The cross was the sign that he was the king who was willing to rescue people who didn't even deserve to be rescued. He's the king who was willing to take our place to bear the punishment that we deserved so that we could share in his glory. Paul the Apostle put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Someone put it this way. Jesus became sin-filled so that sin-filled people could become sin-free. And that day, On that cross, carrying that cross, he bore the symbol of the government upon his shoulders. It was signaling that he was a king who came to serve rather than to be served. That he's a king who would lead by love and not force or intimidation. That he is a king who came to give rather than to take. And you know what? That's the king that Jesus wants to be in all of our lives. The king who brings life. The king who brings joy. The king who brings peace. The king who brings hope in the midst of a world where all of those things seem to be missing and lacking. Jesus says, hey, that's the kind of king that I am. That's what's available in my kingdom if you just come to me. Now, when we put the gospel passages together, we, we see that along the way, as Jesus was carrying that cross, that he collapsed. And not wanting Jesus to die there on the street, but wanting him really to make it up to Calvary where he could be further tortured and, and crucified, one of the soldiers stopped and rested the point of his spear on the shoulder of a man in the crowd named Simon. And whenever a a Roman soldier would put the tip of his spear on your shoulder in that type of instance, it meant that you had to carry his burden or the burden that was represented there. So here's this man, Simon of Cyrene, who's now being compelled by Roman law to carry the cross the rest of the way up to Calvary. Simon was from a place in northern Africa called Cyrene, and he was known to be a proselyte to Judaism. And like any Jew, it was his dream to be able to come to Jerusalem one day and to celebrate one of the holy feasts there. So Simon saves up all of his money. It probably took years. And he finally has enough. He plans the day that he's going to get on a boat. He's going to cross the Mediterranean. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And he chooses to be there for the Passover week. And when he gets there, he finds that it's a very unusual festival that year. There's a lot of commotion going on. And he didn't know what to make of it. 
Controversy abounded as he watches this man, this, this itinerant rabbi, Jesus, riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey in the beginning of the week as people are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But by the end of the week, some of those very same people are in another crowd and they're yelling out, crucify him. Simon didn't know what to make of it. And so lined up along the street with hundreds of thousands of others, Simon watched this man carrying his cross up to Calvary. And all of a sudden, it just just happened that Jesus stumbles right in front of him. Right in front of him. And then it's there that Simon felt the unmistakable sensation of the iron from that Roman spear, touching his shoulder, compelling him to carry the cross. And Simon probably thought, why me? Of all the hundreds of thousands of people who are here, why do I have to carry this criminal's cross up that hill? But he had no choice. So he put the cross on his shoulder, and the procession continued. Up to Calvary, and Jesus was crucified, and Simon probably sat there watching and wondering, what is this all about? And a lot of people have wondered, what happened to that Simon of Cyrene? Well, I think we can say with great confidence that he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Well, the gospel writer Mark, writing 37 years after the crucifixion of Christ, writes this in Mark chapter 15, describing that moment. He says, and they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now, do you see the significance in that statement? Mark's writing 37 years after the crucifixion. He's writing from Rome and he identifies Simon as the father of Rufus and Alexander. And the implication in that is this, that Rufus and Alexander were known by name in the Christian community there in Rome. And 45 years after the crucifixion, Paul also writing to the, in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, he also mentions Rufus by name. He says, great Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother. And the implication and significance of this is so meaningful to me because Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross that represented the government of Christ, becomes a man governed by Christ. He and his whole family, his wife and his two sons, became followers of Christ and were known intimately by the believers there in Rome. And I ask you this question. Are you known intimately by those in heaven? Do they know you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Do they know you as one who is being being governed by Christ? You see, friends, what Christmas is all about is that Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, came to this earth to be born as a baby for the sole purpose so that he could grow to become a man who would go to a cross and on that cross, he would die on that cross to pay the price for the sins of all of humanity, your sin, my sin, and every single human being who has ever lived. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. 
to give life to all who would believe in his name. That's why we always must connect Christmas to Good Friday and Easter. Christmas by itself is just the birth of of a cool baby. But if we don't understand why he came and what he did, it makes no sense. That's why if, if for those people, if you're, if you're this type of person that only come to church at Christmas and at Easter, I mean, you're getting the best part. You're getting the whole story, you know, that the baby was born to die for your sin, my sin. But he doesn't stay dead. He rose again. He beats death so that he could give life and hope and meaning to everyone and anyone who would put their faith in him. Jesus is the king who lives even now and wants to bear our burdens. So I would say to all of you here today, stop carrying your burdens. Why do we do that? Peter said, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He loves you. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the mission was all for, so that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he is for you, that he wants to be with you. Stop carrying your burdens. Give them to him. A lot of you are like me. I do this. I bring my backpack full of burdens, and I lay them down at the feet of Jesus and I pour out my heart. I say, Lord, I just want to give this to you. And then I say, amen, and I pick it right back up, put it on my back, and I walk out. And Jesus is like, Rob, I'd love to help, but you got to leave this here. You got to let me. Jesus is the king who wants to be our burden bearer. He's the king who invites us who are weary and burdened to come to him where we might receive rest for our very souls. That you today could be like Simon of Cyrene, a man or a woman who's governed by Christ, who has so received and embraced the love of Christ that it's changed your whole outlook, that it's impacted your whole world and your whole family. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that when we were in our greatest need, you did the greatest deed in sending your son to leave heaven and come to this earth to be born as a baby that he might grow to a man for the sole purpose of going to the cross where he would give his life a ransom for many. He would bear the sin and the shame that that we deserve, that he would become sin-filled so that we who are sin-filled could become sin-free. And Lord, we thank you that you... (laughs) when we embrace what you did, that you come into our hearts and you make the smelly, messy places of our hearts holy and full of grace. And Lord, I pray for anybody here today or anybody watching online today that doesn't know you as their king, that today they would 
reach out and they would simply say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That they today would make a choice to quit living lives for themselves, to become a man or woman governed by God. If you're here today, you're watching online and that's you, I encourage you just to to reach out to the Lord. The Bible says that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But for all of us here who do know you, Lord, we, we want to embrace you as our King. Lord, help us to cast our cares, our burdens upon you, knowing that you can carry them, that you want to carry them. Lord, I pray that our lives would be marked as people who are governed by you. That our lives would be marked in following your decree, your invitation, that anyone who wants to come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. That we would follow your example, Lord, and be those who seek to live our lives to bless others, to build up others, to encourage others. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to take part in your kingdom. It's a privilege and a joy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.